I do to make a better shot? What can I do to show yeah. somebody something that hasn't been seen? I'm shooting eagles and I'm having a great time and beautiful country, no complaints at all. There's a seal behind me, an otter in front of me, and eagles everywhere. These birds move so fast and there's yep. there's might be two or three or four birds at one time that are flying around and you gotta pick one. The spot that we found to stay, walk out the back door and there's eagles circling. In fact, I've seen a couple fly by while we're doing the podcast at eye level. All right, Ron Hayes, tell everybody where we're at and what we're doing. We are in Homer, Alaska, and we're researching right now, um, trying to do some research, make some contacts to uh, put together a workshop here in Homer. Um, we will likely do that next spring, and uh, it's been nothing short of Phenomenal. You had talked this place up a little bit, but I think you kind of undersold it. <laughs> undersold it a little bit? <laughs> undersold it. Even as good as you made it sound, it's a little bit undersold. I, had, Again, I'm a marine wildlife guy, and just the marine opportunities that we've had, and we haven't had many, but just the ones that we've had so far have been phenomenal. It's so pretty amazing. It's, it's an impressive place. I think we before we get too far into this, let's just tell everybody that Mark's not with us on this trip. It's just you and I. <clears throat> he had some prior obligations that couldn't make it up here. So Unfortunately, Mark was not able to be here. Unfortunately, he's not here. But that's okay because we're uh, reporting back to him and he'll be part of the workshop. So he'll get to do it eventually. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so as far as our research goes so far... What, what's in rolling through your mind since you haven't done this before, you haven't been here before, what are your first impressions? I mean, you just said it was undersold, but beyond yeah. that. Well, you know, this time of year, it's not a very busy place. So when I was uh, trying to find a place for us to stay, first of all, we found some unbelievable accommodations and actually it's the cheapest place in town as far as I could find. I couldn't find anything cheaper than this, um, and it's phenomenal. I mean, we've got a kitchen, it's a two-bed cabin, um, everything you'd need, plus the view's not bad when you step out the back door with the hot tub and, and sit in the hot tub, stare at the mountains. There's supposed to be some aurora borealis tonight, so yeah, I mean, it's it's not... Oh, what would we say? It's everything you would expect Alaska, Alaska to be. Yeah, exactly. It's not perfect, but <clears throat> it's, it's pretty perfect. dang close. <laughs> so um, we rolled in yesterday, and I think we ought to talk a little bit about the drive down here, too, because we, we yeah. both flew into Anchorage and we drove down here. We and flew, I think a lot of people miss that because they'll yep. fly right to Homer or they'll fly right to Kenai and not to get a chance to drive that. Describe that drive a little bit so you can put that in people's minds. Sure, yeah. You Well, initially you drive along the coast, um, along the uh, turnabout arm. Turnagain. Turnagain arm in um, just south of Anchorage. And we, we started seeing wildlife right away. It, I was pretty surprised because it was... Uh-oh, Ron's getting a call from the president. Sorry about that, boys and girls. 
Um, I'm going to go ahead and switch to airplane mode. But we started seeing wildlife right away. Uh, Potter's Marsh, just south of Anchorage, is right off the highway. And we saw five moose. Yep. And they were feeding out in the middle of the day, which kind of surprised me because it was it was pretty warm. Um, being Alaska in March. Um, well, and I think that's one thing we should touch on really quickly, not to derail your conversation. Yeah. But, you know, I've spent a lot of time up here in over the last several years and you can come to here and work in a t-shirt this time of year or you can come here and freeze your butt off you just never know we happen to hit a year where it's just we're we're in t-shirt weather at this point yeah it's amazing the lack of snow and and the amount of stuff Mm -hmm. we saw when we were driving down starting with those moose and then what else started with the moose and then right after that um you had looked up on the on the cliff side, and there was a doll sheep on the cliff just above the road. Uh, we did see some eagles. We saw some, uh, well, no, I guess it was e- eagles. We didn't get into the ravens. I had gotten into a good group of very cooperative ravens the day before while I was waiting for you to fly up. I got some good raven images, and then uh, when we continued through the pass um i had never been this far south past cooper landing i we think is past, as far as you yeah been. cooper's landing just just south of cooper's landing is as far as i've been on that road and so as we as we continued south i was surprised because we're going up we're gaining elevation and actually we went through quite a snowfield. there's tons and tons of avalanches as the spring breakup has started here in earnest. But then once we got basically not far past Cooper's Landing, things just completely opened up. There was no snow at all. It's pretty amazing. I, I don't think I've been down here this time of year with this, with not that much snow. With this little, yeah. With this little of snow, yeah. And that, yeah, that was a shocker to me. I mean, we have more snow in Douglas, Wyoming than... Up here in than the we had up here, you know, even in the mountains. Uh, and then as we continued south, of course, um, ran into a lot of moose. I was really surprised at the number of moose that we saw out feeding during midday. And it was starting to get toward evening um, as we as we got through the pass and, and continued to head south. But moose everywhere. And then we started to break out on the coast and the the volcanoes this is kind of ring of fire country up here so the volcanoes uh Iliamna, augustine and redoubt were the three volcanoes that we saw not necessarily in that order um, but we were able to when we were at lake clark a couple years ago we were able to see Iliamna, and it was actually letting off some steam of course it wasn't erupting but there was some steam coming out but the mountain didn't necessarily look that big because it was kind of back away from the beach and there were several other smaller hills in between us and the mountain. And when you look at it from this side, it's it's an impressive, impressive mountain. Yeah, I have no idea what the elevation of those peaks are, those volcanoes, but, <clears throat> excuse me, they're, they rise way above the horizon. Oh, well above, yeah. And Iliamna, I never would have guessed it was that high given what we were able to see from from the other side. 
You know, we're sitting right here with the internet. While you're talking, I will look that up. Good point. So that's looking out across over the Cook Inlet. Yep. And the other thing is it looks a lot closer from this side than it did from the other side. You can barely see land. And maybe it was just because of the amount of haze when we were there before. Uh, looking from the west side of the Cook Inlet across, you could barely see landfall on the other side. And looking from this side, it's clearly visible. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't look like you could swim it, but it's not as far as I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so deceiving. So I'm trying to see if it says here the height. Keep going, and I'll add to it. Yeah, so as we continued south, it, you know, once we got into Homer um, and started driving around, we went out, you know, closer to the coastline, and we saw a lot of eagles, but not what I was expecting to see. I was expecting to see the, the big numbers, um, given your last visit here and what had actually taken place. We didn't see the big numbers, but we did eventually... Uh, find three or four birds on the on the shore and one of them had a it had a, a diving duck fishing duck uh, merganser or uh, loon and they're not in breeding foliage yet but um, it had it had killed the the loon or merganser and was feeding on it on the beach and I initially tried to kind of circle it to get on the good side of the light to get some photographs and uh, it wasn't having any part of it. But I think given what it did later, I think it was more nervous about the other birds around its kill than it was, you know, about me uh, because there were a couple other birds right in the same area. The cool thing about Homer is it's, and, and finding eagles is they're fairly used to people. So they're fairly used to lots of boat traffic, lots of car traffic, people walking up and down. There's a, walking path so that's what makes it pretty good about photographing eagles because you they're acclimated they're not tame mm -hmm. and they're not fed like they used to be in the old days but they will tolerate people so yeah, you, yeah i don't think you're gonna ever you know they you can't get within five feet of them but you can walk 20 yards away and they're just gonna yep. sit there and look at you you get images no problem yeah and they were they were very tolerant because i was you know, the, the mountains were across the inlet, and so I was trying to get in a position where I could get some some shots with the mountains in the background, and they tolerated me crawling all over the ground, getting getting down as low as I could, moving side to side. They just kept, kept feeding. And I was able to get some fairly graphic images of, uh, of that bird feeding on whatever it had killed there it, it was hard to identify because the feathers were pulled out all you could see was a the the beak or bill and and some white feathers on the back so identification was definitely not a hundred percent and i'm not any help here because i didn't go down with you i the last time i was here i was trying to remember it was probably five or six years ago mm -hmm. and at that time, they used to allow the eagles to be fed by people. Well, like not like you're specifically going to go feed, but a fisherman might have the gut pile and they'll throw it out and then right. the eagles would eat it. Now you can't do that. So I thought, well, maybe that 
the tolerance of these eagles has changed a little bit. So I didn't want to put two of us walking down there just to see if we could get a shot. So I didn't get to see right. any of this. I just was able to let you go down there and see what what you could get and what you could see and how tolerant they were going to be. But we quick, quickly realized it's not a big deal. No, they didn't seem to mind at all. And and then, you know, we got some perched, um, got that bird, and then the, the few that were kind of harassing it, trying to get in and get a bite for themselves. Got some good portraits. One of the things that I wanted was a just a headshot, and I was able to get that on the first well, maybe first hour and a half that we were here. Yeah. So, well, and it was kind of, we got here, what, middle of the afternoon or late afternoon? Late afternoon, yeah. And you didn't see a lot. And so we drove around quite a bit just to check stuff out, just to mm -hmm. see what the possibilities were. And <clears throat> But, you know, I didn't have a clue. And, and when we planned this, I was like, I have no idea what to expect. I didn't want to get anybody's hopes up. I knew how good it used to be. Right. And then I thought, well... We'll just have to see if it's if it's holding up or not. But mm -hmm. fast forward to this morning, I think. Yeah, things changed dramatically <laughs> this morning. <laughs> so we we hired a a guy to take us across the inlet uh, to some islands. There's one island that's called Bird Island, and um, that seems to be where most of the eagles were. The spot. Yeah, there were. There were eagles everywhere, and we we got all kinds of activity. I mean, the bonus part was I've talked to a couple friends that have been here in the last, well, one friend and then uh, another acquaintance through a friend that have been here in the last few weeks um, on workshops, and they had overcast light, like heavily overcast light, and rain the whole time that they were here. Plus, they had some rough seas. Um, so the images they got, they weren't necessarily happy with anything but the, the portraits that they were able to get, which, you know, that's, that's one thing that I wanted to get also. Um, but this morning we had glass water in the little bay that we were in, uh, which made for some unbelievable opportunities to get reflections as these birds flew low, you know, looking for something to eat. And then the flight shots we were able to get the mountains in the background, had excellent light on the birds. It was, I couldn't have asked for anything more except to have multi-direction light <laughs> because I kept, uh, the thing that I struggled with was getting them in, sh in shadow, getting their heads in shadow. Yeah, yeah. So, so two things on that, the, um, you definitely got to, you know, we always talk about going to a place and spending 10 days. Right. Just so you can figure out what the opportunities are and then maximize those opportunities and, and have enough time to do it with weather being one of those things that gets in your way. Right. So it sounds like your buddies tried that. They ha had some days here, but you can run into a stretch up here of seven or eight bad days of weather right. and you're kind of hosed. But yeah, the problem they... with staying for 10 days is it's almost too long. Well, this time of year it is, yeah, because yeah. the opportunities are a little bit limited unless you're willing to charter a boat every day. And, you know, for a lot of people, that's just not feasible. Including us. That's a, Including that's a lot us, of money. We went for a morning and it was, it cost plenty. Yep. So, you know, that's, that's the, if you don't have a boat, which we don't, 
um, then that's the only way to get across there is to to pay somebody to take you. And you got to track somebody down, figure out if they know. You know what's so important about that too is you got to find somebody that knows how to work with photographers. Because right. a lot of people don't know, oh, hey, we need the light over here or we need to be pointed this direction. Or if the wind's blowing this way, it'd be yeah. really great if we could be over in this spot. The guy we ended up finding had a clue. He's done this yeah, before. he knew so. exactly. And he even, I mean, not just the light. He was he was playing the wind and where he positioned us because he knew that, you know, those birds like to come in and hunt into the wind. So let's back up before the birds because... Um, you being a marine wildlife guy. Oh, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> we yeah. didn't even get out of the marina, and what did you see? We Yeah, we were in the marina still, and we had we had seen a, a sea otter yesterday, but there were, was no opportunity to get any photographs. And then today, as we're headed out of the marina, there's an otter right kind of in the mouth where you're, where you're leaving the boat docks as, into the open water. Well the the guy that was that we had hired he says oh man she's nursing a young one sure enough so there's a nursing sea otter right at the mouth and being in that protected area the water was completely flat it was phenomenal so we got images of a nursing sea otter first things this morning and that was bonus we had all we really wanted to do was get the eagles you know, and that's what happens a lot up here in Alaska is you, you have a particular species in mind. It's like that trip we did last summer. We were going for sea otters, and then we ended up finding whales. So mm-hmm. you just never know what you're going to be up against. And you got to, and we talked about that with the boat captain this morning is, you know, everybody's got blinders on, and all they want is eagles when they come up here, and they're eagle, eagle, eagle. But there's so much more. I mean, there's whales, there's kittiwakes, there's puffins, there's um, otters, there's... I mean, you name it, you can, and you just got to be ready to pivot and make, yeah, make a shot at it, or just make time for all this other stuff that you you Take might take advantage. See. Don't pass up any opportunity because you don't know when it might come up again. Right. And the the really good thing, and we talk all the time about being being eye level, and getting eye level to an animal that's right on the surface of the water is difficult, and from a boat almost impossible. But the boat that we had hired, it was a landing craft. So he just dropped the dropped the nose of the landing craft, and I could lay down on the nose of the landing craft and get eye level with that otter. And, uh, you know, the only issue was we were in the marina, so you had the other boats to contend with as far as a background. So you had to be careful in choosing your background. But, yeah, I, I didn't get any world beater shots, but definitely some good documentary that speaks to time Mm -hmm. and you know we happened to have the perfect water too it was flat water there was there wasn't much of a wake at all or not a wake but waves or anything so for him to put that front down while we're out there floating was no big deal yeah it's not like you're gonna get your camera gear wet or you're gonna get not even yeah not yourself wet either so yep so let's dig into some of these eagle shots i mean you probably had some You've shot eagles before. You've yeah. never been in an area where you're able to shoot this many eagles. What were your preconceived notions as to what you wanted to get before we went down there? And then how did you end up getting those? So one of the things that I wanted to get was the headshot. And of course, I 
as I talked about already, got that yesterday, um, a couple times and in phenomenal light. And then the other thing that I would really wanted to get was just a full frame, full wingspan bird flying at me. Um, now, that required some patience because the big surprise was the sheer, sheer number of birds. There are so many eagles uh, along those islands and in that bay that they, I mean, they were everywhere. They would, you'd have one lined up and all of a sudden another one would fly across your shot. And I don't know how many times we did edit some images today. I don't know how many times I said that, that yeah, perfect, except there's that another bird flew across. Yeah, it flies right in between so, you and that bird or clips the corner of your image or yeah. there's just something distracting about having that. And the, the other thing that we've talked about is you've got a dark bird with a white head and white tail and the difficulty exposing for that, for that bird, especially in full sunlight. If you've got an overcast day, it's not quite as bad. Um, but we were in full sunlight today, which is good, except that you've really got to watch that you don't, you want to get as much of that feather detail as you possibly can in the head of that bird, especially if you're trying to get one full frame, because every little, you know, every little error is going to be magnified with it being so close. So what did you do to come, you know, cause I'll tell you what I did, but what did you yeah, do? Yeah, well, there was some bracketing, but I initially, um, so when you talk about exposing your image, um, one of the things that I like to do is expose for my background. And the, the difficulty is you are, as you're exposing for the background, you're taking a, your camera's meter reading off the background. And what we were working with most of the time was the tree line, the dark water, and the sand that was across the bay. So when you're working with a darker background, your camera, when you meter, your camera is going to want to lighten the image. So if I leave it at neutral, when we're shooting against that dark background, it's always going to blow that eagle's head out. So what you want to do is increase your shutter speed, drop your ISO, or give yourself a little bit more depth of field so that you take the camera's meter and you're basically shooting a negative two-thirds exposure. So that darkens it because the camera is going to try to lighten it. You're going to tell the camera that you want to darken that image slightly. And then the eagle's head is going to be properly exposed. The issue that we had, the other issue, besides just uh, exposing for a white-headed eagle, is that they would go from this dark background and then they would kind of circle up and the, the mountains are still snow-covered. So then you have to go in the opposite direction because when your camera sees that light background, it's going to try to darken the image. So you have to tell the camera just the opposite. You have to tell it that you want to go, you know, two-thirds or in some cases it was bright enough that I even went a full stop um, brighter so that the dark parts of that eagle are going to be exposed properly because you lose, you lose the the detail in the feathers of the wings and body, you know, when you shoot it up in that lighter area and you lose the detail in the head 
because it gets blown out if you shoot against that dark background. So it was a constant adjustment. And I tried to leave my depth of field. I tried to leave it about f7.1 um, to f8 just because it's a little bit more forgiving when you have a flying bird. Um, you want a little bit more depth of field because they are moving. They're changing their focal plane. So that f8 gives you a little bit more room for error. I didn't want to shoot wide open on my lens is f5.6. And I didn't want to shoot a 5.6 because it just limits that focal plane enough that, you know, if you if you miss the bird or if you miss the, the front edge or the eye of the bird, you're going to be out of focus. And what shutter speed were you at to stop the action? Uh, minimum, minimum shutter speed that I was at today was um, 1 1,000th. And then I got up to 1 3200th. But we'll talk about why in a little bit. That was a mistake. I didn't need to be that fast. And I, I accidentally... I bumped my ISO up at one point um, because I wanted to get a little bit more shutter speed, and that's when I went to like one sixteen hundredth or uh, two thousandth of a second, and that's kind of where I wanted to be. Um, but I bumped the ISO up too far, and so I ended up at thirty two hundredth. I was metered properly, but I was a little higher ISO than I needed to be on a day like today, especially. And then I found that it's that. What were we out there for a couple hours? Yeah, on the on the water for an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, the first hour was awesome. The light was awesome, and and making those adjustments, like you said, was perfect. After that, it just got kind of bright. Mm -hmm. it, it was bright, overcast. There was a cloud in front of the sun once in a while. Yeah. So then you, it was really difficult to yep. get that exposure to work out. You know, a lot of times you just see a white head, no detail. The body goes dark. You can't pull any detail out of that. Mm -hmm. And it just looks like a muddy image. It's just not a pretty image. So I got the best stuff the first hour for sure. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And then after that, anything close, if it was close, close meaning what, 20 yards? Yeah. If they would fly by at 20 yeah. yards. You could do something with that in that kind of light. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but further off in the distance. Right. And it just, yeah, it just got a little bit harsh. Yeah. It, if you get those thin clouds... The really wispy, thin layer clouds, it actually acts like a softbox. Like a diffuser. Yeah, so it spreads the light out instead of having a focused light, which, you know, you can at least work with your direction of light. Now you've got this softbox, and, and it's spreading more light everywhere. Right. You know, a little bit heavier clouds, and we would have been, we would have been working with an even exposure in every direction, but with the the little bit of cloud cover that we did end up having yeah it was it was like a, a big diffuse giant diffuser and there was just harsh light everywhere especially when you screwed the pooch and you're at a thousand iso see and i didn't watch that stuff that much as far as that i was shooting at five six i was mm -hmm. even shooting at four for some of it just because i wanted even faster right and um i i know i was as high as a, like 3200 shutter or a, yeah shutter right. speed but when I look at the images, I really don't see too much of a difference. But you definitely want to shoot fast enough to stop that action. Yeah. Because when those eagles are coming in, they're coming in pretty fast. I don't know how yep. fast they fly. but And we had several birds hit the water. And you're, you can track these birds pretty easily as they're flying in. 
but the wings come in tight and it's amazing how quick they accelerate. When I'm looking through my images, I'm tracking the bird going the same direction. I've got him for several frames, just perfect where I want him in the frame. And then all of a sudden, instead of being at the, the back third of the frame, so he's flying into it, now I'm barely catching him as he's about ready to fly out. So you have to make adjustments in the speed once those birds get close to the water. It's definitely one of those things where if you shot, if you had that opportunity and we can't, we're not going to do that because we don't want to pay that kind of money to go out there every day. And you, mm -hmm. you don't have that kind of weather every day. But the more you do it, the more you get in that groove where it's like, oh, yeah, it's mm -hmm. coming in this way. It's probably going to be about this fast. I'm going to follow and I need to pay attention to, right. you know, speed it up a little bit as it gets closer. Yep. So over day two, day three, day four, it's probably going to get a lot easier right. when you do that. Yeah. And that's, that's just one of those behavior things that you don't, you don't necessarily know until you start to observe what happened to your images and observe what those birds are actually doing because they come in, you know, they're fairly nonchalant. And then once they see something, it's accelerate to the water pretty quick. Yeah, and the reason I asked you earlier about what were you kind of expecting or what were you wanting, generally it's pretty easy stuff. Because getting a soaring eagle picture, a full-frame soaring eagle picture in the lower 48, it can be done. There's places where you can go do that, but there's not that many. Right. And the condition has to be just perfect. It's more serendipity than it is just, yeah, it's going to happen. Something you look for. Yeah. yeah. But you get here, and that shot is pretty easy to get. So then you're like, okay, that was pretty easy. What can I do to make a better shot? What can I do to show yeah. somebody something that hasn't been seen? What, you know, they're, these guys, I call them aerial acrobats, mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of times they're flying in and they're just soaring and then on a dime they turn. And when they turn, they kick their wings vertical, mm -hmm. but their head stays straight and they get their eyes on something, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden they're go flying the other direction. And if you can capture that moment when that bird is just soaring to when he locks onto something, he or she locks onto something and then makes that turn, that is one of my favorite images to get. You get that, I mean, it's just almost like impossible. Mm -hmm. You would think it would be impossible to do what they do when they're up in the air like that. And to me, that's just a little bit different than that normal soaring image or, or whatever. So yeah, I worked a lot on that this morning but yeah. I had known you know I've done this so many times before where it's like okay I've got those standard shots I've got the good ones they're all good shots mm -hmm. but what can I get that's a little bit different you know and, and that was what I was trying I tried that a lot this morning and a lot of times you shoot it horizontal knowing that I want a vertical and I can crop that out pretty easily but what's really hard is trying to shoot vertical Fill the frame fill the and frame just get that it. moment when they do go vertical with their wings and try to capture that. I didn't have very good luck with that. A lot of the go the ones I got today, I ended up cropping vertical out of a horizontal image. But it's yeah, still say, you got works. a couple of them though. Yeah, I got I got several, and you know I didn't know until I got back whether it's going to work or not. But mm -hmm. they worked, and it's difficult too because a lot of times. Did you leave enough space? I think we should get into this. I mean, what kind of lens were you using? I had 200 to 500. Okay. Um, so uh, for what for what we were trying to do, it was definitely nice to have the zoom. Now, 
that being said, when you're when you're zooming that much, that 200 to 500 has got almost a full turn, which is it's not terrible, but it does take a little bit of time to do it. And milliseconds count when you're talking about, especially you know like what you just described, where you're talking about trying to get those birds with wings vertical, that kind of thing. You're zooming in, zooming out, trying to give yourself plenty of space because you, you know, when you're in that proximity, the proximity that we were in today, it's easy to clip wings, it's easy to clip talons, it's easy to lose the head or tail. So you've constantly got to be working that zoom ring in and out just to make sure that your composition stays whole and that you do keep that bird fully in the frame. Yeah, I was talking about that earlier, <clears throat> about the old days when we used to come up here. I was using a fixed 500, and more times than not, we were shooting from the beach, so you would be on a tripod, and all this stuff has changed from the when we used to do this. Now, everybody pretty much shoots handheld. You got these littler lenses, the 2 to 5s, the 1 to 4s. Mm -hmm. They're very manageable to handhold, and you can handhold you know, for a couple hours, and you're going to be fine. I came up here thinking, okay, I want to shoot mostly video, so I brought my two to four hundred Canon, which is a pretty big lens, pretty heavy lens. And man, I got my arms got tired today trying to handhold that. And then you run in the zoom, like you said, trying to run that zoom, hold the lens, and you know I can't let go. Like some of the smaller lenses, you're able to hold the whole body and lens with one hand and then run your zoom. But I actually have to support some of that weight, plus right. run the zoom, plus hold the camera. <clears throat> I was yeah, I was able to make it work, but that's something to think about if you're coming, you know, trying to do this kind of thing. Those nowadays the smaller lenses that have the the big zoom range and, and really quality glass, that's by far and away the way to go. Yeah, it was it was nice to have that two to five, but even then, you know, it's a not a full metal body on that lens, so it's quite a lot lighter than the two to four that you're shooting with. But that said, you still, I'm shooting eagles and I'm having a great time and beautiful country, no complaints at all. There's a seal behind me, an otter in front of me and eagles everywhere. Right. But I did get to the point where I was feeling a little burn in the shoulder <laughs> <laughs> from holding that thing up. And it really, something that we haven't talked about a lot is just using good technique. So, you know, you get in a situation like that where you start to get fatigued, but the opportunities are still there, so you want to keep shooting. Ideally, you've got your elbow tucked in tight to your body. You're supporting with your with your support hand, your left hand. You're supporting the barrel of that lens. With your right hand, obviously, you're you're running the camera. So making sure that your controls are set up such that you don't have to take your eye off the off the viewfinder and that goes back to practice we've talked about that before but then keeping that elbow tucked in tight to your body what you're doing is basically supporting it with skeletal strength instead of muscle strength so you don't get as fatigued so that's something to keep in mind as you're you know you should always keep that elbow in tight keep both arms in tight because then you're you're uh humerus your radius your ulna are taking the weight of that camera and not your triceps biceps <laughs> and, yeah. and you know your shoulder you start well. out using all your muscles you do and then after that yep. it's like oh man 
Whoops. And get a little tired. <laughs> so I would be tucking my elbow in there, yeah. just getting it against my body as best as I could. And then it's still... Then I found myself putting my leg up on the side of the boat and resting my elbow Rest on my knee. Elbow on the knee yep. But then you're not as flexible. I mean, you're not... These birds move so fast and there's... Yep. There's might be two or three or four birds at one time that are flying around, and you got to pick one, you know, mm-hmm. find your target, lock on it, and then be able to move with that bird. And you can't do it if you have your elbow resting on your knee, and you you know all of a sudden you're going 180 degrees. You're kind of you're at the mercy of the bird. So yeah, <clears throat> you just have to really. I think that is a good point. You really want to find that that positioning, that solid. Like, as solid as you can get it, right, it makes it better. And, you know, what you were just talking about goes back to, again, another technique hack is when you're following these birds, you've got to do so by rotating your hips. So if we bind our, bind our hips up by putting our foot on something and trying to use that for support, obviously it limits our range of movement. Now you've got 90, 90 degree window instead of 180 degree window to shoot in. And so that, you know, and moving your feet, that causes bobble also. So you want to have a good platform with your feet, good wide stance with your feet, and then be able to rotate your hips, maybe a little bit more than 180 degrees, but that's that's your range of motion, basically. Well, and that was another reason I was shooting such high shutter speed is that 2 to 4 has the 1 4 built in, right? right. So I was yep. flipping that on. But then it's really hard. I mean, to you're, that magnification, you, any little shake, you're going to get a blurry right. image if you're not shooting fast enough. So I was trying to get super fast with shutter speed just because if you're trying to shoot it, I think it's, what, 740? Mm-hmm. That 1.4? That and handheld? 640. 640 at 1.4, yep. handheld. Ugh. And then I'm running the zoom there too. And then I find myself, oh, I'm stuck on, I still have the 1.4 on. If I'm running the zoom back down and I have the one four on, I'm like, well, do you big dummy take that off and go back to two hundred instead of three hundred, right. whatever it is? And it's five sixty. Yes, I know that. I did the math correctly this time. Five sixty. When, when so, you have the one four, so somebody was going to call us on that. The reason I get messed up it. is because I'm always <laughs> using it on the red, and then on oh, the red yeah. I use all these four K, five K, six K, and the it changes with different every one crop of them. factors. Yeah, so. No, it was, um, I think you could make it work with anything. The other thing that I wanted to bring up is you did say, man, I wish I had my 80 to 200. Mm-hmm. And I told you this morning, I was like, nah, you won't need that. But the birds that are flying by closer, that probably would be better. Right. But getting getting the ones that I got against the mountains, that wouldn't have been an option with that 70 to 200 lens. Um so I think it would have been, obviously, it's always nice to be able to carry two bodies. And I think this is a this is a position that would have been nice. But when you do that, I've done that several times. And when you do that, you find yourself jacking around with both cameras instead of getting the images when they're presenting themselves. So I was happy to have the lens that I had. And I was happy to only have one camera body to have to mess with or think about also. Yeah, and I... Th- I I can't imagine trying to get those, I guess, scenic pictures. So you have a bird in big mountains and, you know, big scene. To lock on a bird that's moving with one focus point 
that far away is almost impossible. I mean, it's yeah. just really hard. When you're in a moving boat and then the bird's moving, all this stuff's going on, it was, I don't think you could get a scenery shot with a smaller lens. No. And get it, any detail out. It would have been a lot more difficult. Yeah. But it would be good in the right situation. You're right. And But the the only reason that I said that when we got back, because I wish that I would have had it, is because, you know, the one thing that we we mentioned earlier was the, the water was just completely glassy. And it was, you know, a little choppy when we were in open ocean. Uh, but once we got back in the bay, it was completely flat. So what that lends itself to is when these birds come in low, being able to get a, a reflection, an almost perfect reflection sometimes, of the birds flying across the water. And that 70 to 200 would have been perfect for that scenario. Yeah, I didn't even try that because I didn't think I'd be able to... Even at 200, zoomed all the way out to 200, I don't think I could have... Well, maybe I could. I didn't try it. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> and failed. <laughs> I got a couple with some partial reflections, but you end up clipping them and or, or cutting the reflection off, trying to keep the bird in the frame. So it was largely unsuccessful, but it was it was a good opportunity. So I had to give it a shot. So I guess <clears throat> we're going to be doing these one a day. So I think we could start wrapping this one up and and do we'll have more to talk about tomorrow. But as far as research goes. To, to bring a workshop out here next spring. Yeah. I think we're finding out some pretty good stuff and meeting the right people. and We definitely met the right, one of the right people today. And uh, the key is having multiple opportunities. But I, I can assure you, you know, a person might want to go out and photograph the eagles on the water more than once, but probably not for three, four days in a row. But what we did find is that, um, you know, the, the other marine opportunities that are available here allow for some diversity and uh, and they also allow for options. So if we have the kind of day that we had today, yeah, we want to be out there shooting those eagles and want to be in, back in those bays where we can where we can get the, the kind of shots that we were able to get today. But if, if the weather's poor, you know, there's other opportunities that, a person can take advantage of. There's a spot where we can go get the uh, get the eagles roosting in the trees. There's opportunities for other marine wildlife, uh, harbor seals, stellar sea lions, the otters, the sea otters, and then um, we did not see any, but there are a pod of orcas in in the inlet right now, in the area that they've seen and. You know, so that's a potential also. And I don't think I'd ever pass that up. No, no. If you got orcas around somewhere, yeah, you got to go. You might as well go see what you can get. The eagles are probably going to be here way more reliably than the orcas are. So, no, I think it's it's definitely something that we're getting a lot, making a lot of headway, coming up with a good plan. It'll be an awesome trip for somebody. Accommodations are phenomenal. Yeah, uh, what we've what we found, and and obviously there's some details to get ironed out to get that solidified. But I I think it'll. I don't think there's anybody that would come up here, and not be incredibly pleased with the results of their efforts. 
Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely do this trip. And like we've talked about before, I've, I've been on a couple of tours <clears throat> specifically because somebody else figured it out for me. You know, they figured out where to go. They figured mm-hmm. out where the, where the action's at. They figured out the accommodations. It's pretty much, I show up and I shoot and that's what I want to do. Yep. And I think we'll have that, that figured out. And I think that being said, we should also point out that, um, we did solidify our dates for the Seward trip coming up this summer. This this July. And yeah. this July. So we're going to have three days in Resurrection mm-hmm. Bay. And there's no guarantees on anything but what we were able to photograph last year were humpback whales, bubble feeding, uh, otters, eagles, seals, uh, puffins. All kinds of stuff. So who knows what we're going to see this year. But if anybody's interested in that trip, it's all coming together. And that will be, what were the dates? July 8th, 9th, and 10th. And we chose earlier in the in the, in the the summer or earlier in July just because there tends to be a little bit more activity with the whales the earlier. Yep. You can see them at any time. I mean, we could go out today and see humpbacks. Who knows? But mm-hmm. but that bubble feeding and that that what goes on is a little bit better that time of year than any other time. So I wanted to put that out so people can get it on the radar if anybody's interested. Yep. Contact us um, on Instagram through our website, contact the contact tab on the website. That'll get us an email. And then uh, the page to go ahead and sign up for that. will I've be... got that in the works. Uh, the workshop yep. page is done. I just need to put in uh specifics and then now that we have the specifics it'll go up it'll be up before somebody listens to this podcast so yep all right so we'll do this again tomorrow or the next day we'll do another podcast and one thing i want wanted to point out or or shout out one of our instagram followers his name is florida wild photo <clears throat> he's been helping me a lot with the uh, the upgrade on the sony sony action yeah, and I haven't been using it because I'm just not confident in it, and maybe I should try it now. But if you're watching us on YouTube right now, you're watching footage from the Sony. Yeah, I'm using the Sony. I'm just not using it for <laughs> what I'm comfortable shooting with my Canon. I'm just so used to using that Canon that it's just like it's like that old lunchbox you have. You know, you just don't want to get rid of mm-hmm. it. And I'm just going to use that camera because I know I'm going to get what I want. But at some point, I'm going to have to cut the. Take a chance. Cut the cord and go try the, the Sony. But anyway, so he's helped out a lot. And he's. I told him we were coming up here to shoot eagles because he was asking about the Sony. And I was like, no, um, I haven't used it, but we're going to go shoot eagles. And so he was really excited for me to try it out. But also said that um, eagles, this is right from his, his uh, direct message to me. He says eagles are, are his favorite bird. So make sure we do a podcast so that he can live vicariously through us. So here we are. So here we are. I just want to give him a shout out because uh, he has some pretty good stuff on his page. He's a good person to follow and, and he's got some good information. Absolutely. All right. So till next time, we'll uh, shoot some more eagles, put some images up on Instagram. And what else? Anything else? No. Any concluding thoughts? No. The only thing that I... I can say is the spot that we found to stay, walk out the back door, and there's eagles circling. In fact, I've seen a couple fly by while we're doing the podcast at eye level. So it it's just a beautiful place, and that, 
I think there it has a lot to offer. I don't I don't think your funds would be wasted coming up here. Perfect. Well, look us up on Instagram. Uh, you can find the podcast on the website. You can go to Apple Podcasts. You can use Overcast. You can use Stitcher. It's everywhere. Um, subscribe. Give us a good rating if you like the show. And um, we'll talk to you soon.